Well, good morning to my church family. I hope you guys are doing well out there. Again, if this is your first time tuning in to a Life Church Buffalo experience, my name is Pete. I have the honor and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, and I hope that you are doing well. Hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I know it was a little bit different this year, but no matter what we're facing, we can always find things to be grateful for. We are certainly blessed and are thankful to our God for all of the things that he has blessed us with. I also want to thank Pastor Beth for bringing a phenomenal message last Sunday to kick off this series and teach us how to be full on God's word and how grateful we should be for the accessibility of the very words of God that bring life to our soul, that we will not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I hope the resources that we shared with you on our social media pages after that message were a blessing to you. I'm trusting that many of you maybe even bought a new Bible and are beginning to read it now and digest it and fill up on God's word. You know, her message last Sunday reminded me of something that I recently read in a book that I just completed called The Hiding Place. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that that was a book I was reading. And one of the things that Corey Ten Boom talked about in that book that she attributed her survival and her and Betsy kind of making it through their time in a Nazi concentration camp was because of this contraband Bible that they somehow miraculously managed to keep hidden throughout their whole ordeal. In the book, Corey talks about how she would gulp the entire Gospels in one sitting and that they lived on the truths found in scriptures as if they were written for their very own circumstances. You know, she and her sister Betsy would, would read the passages of Scripture out loud, and, and women in the barracks that they were in would, would gather around, and as they would read phrases, they would wait for those words to be translated then into the different languages of the women who were present in the concentration camp, translated into Polish and French and, and German. And if God's word, if Scripture can sustain those women in their darkest hour in conditions like that, then certainly it can sustain us when we are going through our dark hours. Oh, that we would be a people who, who learn how to hunger and gulp God's word and, and live on, on the living words of God that they would sustain us. Well, we are wrapping up our two-week mini-series today on gratitude. And uh, I know that it's easy to be grateful when things in life are great. How many of you know, though, that it's not so easy to be grateful when we're going through challenging circumstances? You know, I, for one, if I'm being honest, have found it a little bit difficult this year to be grateful for things. I have found it a whole lot easier to grumble and complain in the face of lockdowns and, and unconstitutional restrictions and all of these things that so many people are going through. Even this Thanksgiving, many of you weren't able to celebrate Thanksgiving like you normally do with, with your extended family because of you know, the encouragement and advice of our local health officials and our state governor to you know, only have dinner with your immediate family. And that's been hard. You know, we've got parents who are once again facing the prospect of, of schooling being 100% virtual and juggling, you know, both parents working full-time jobs and, you know, didn't go to school to be a teacher, but here they find themselves trying to help their children stay current in their work and, and help them not fall behind. And 
so many things that we can grumble and complain about. But gratitude is a theme that we find in scriptures over and over again, and it's clear that we're not only to be grateful when things are going well. To the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Not just good circumstances, but give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever asked the question or or wished that you could know for certain what God's will is for your life? I can't tell you. That's probably the number one question I hear from people as a pastor is, how do I know God's will for my life? Yet here's a scripture, a simple command that tells us to know for sure when we are following in God's will. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. But just because it's a simple command doesn't mean it's one that's easy to do. It's difficult to be grateful in the midst of challenging circumstances or when we're in need or when we're suffering or when we're facing loss. It's not as easy to be grateful in those circumstances. Paul repeats a similar command in his letter to the church at Ephesus when he writes this, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to train for gratitude. We're going to start right now. As you're watching from home, I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and grab a sheet of paper or a notebook or a journal and a pen. I know that anytime you um, listen to a sermon, your mind tends to want, well, at least not when you're listening to mine. I know I keep you riveted and your attention is always locked in on every word that I say, but I know it's natural for your mind to drift and wander when you're listening to a message. And, and today the goal is to let our minds drift towards gratitude. I have a few thoughts that I want to share with you today on gratitude, and I believe that God is going to bring to your mind different things that you can be grateful to him for. And when those things come to your mind, I just want you to take your pen and jot them down on whatever sheet of paper that you have handy. Just a couple thoughts to kind of get your mind flowing or some suggestions for, for ideas would be, maybe it would be an individual in your life, a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a mentor that you could be grateful for. Or maybe God will bring to your mind an experience, like when you got to go to school every day, or a trip that you went on. That'll come to your mind, and you can write that down and something to be grateful for. Or a time maybe when you were suffering and God comforted you. Or maybe it's a small gift that you received from someone in the form of an encouraging word or a text message or a phone call. Maybe a good night's sleep. Maybe good food that you got to eat. I'm grateful for the food I got to eat this week. Maybe the gift is a life-changing one like your faith or your Bible. Maybe it's the gift of Jesus' death on the cross that brought forgiveness and freedom into your life. Or maybe it's the gift of the Holy Spirit to be your guide or the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave you when you placed your faith in Jesus to empower you to do the things that he's called you to do. Or maybe you'll think of your church family as you're sitting at home and Realize how grateful you are to be a part of a church family. By the end of this message, I believe that you're going to have a list of things written down on paper that you can thank God for. And the first thought that I want to share with you today on gratitude is that gratitude flows from God's presence. There is this thought in our culture today that 
People believe I will be more grateful when I have more things. But more gratitude does not come from having more things, but comes from more awareness of God's presence and goodness in our lives. You can't manufacture goodness by your own willpower, even though that's what most people try to do. Today, I don't want to talk so much about the benefits of gratitude, which there are many of. As much as today, I want to talk specifically about Christian gratitude. What does Jesus-shaped gratitude look like for us as people of faith? As I said, we can't manufacture gratitude. That's what most people try to do. Well, I don't feel grateful. Well, it's not really a feeling. See, gratitude comes from a new worldview, a different way of seeing things. And it always involves three factors. And those factors all originate from the old Latin word, beni, which means good. Jesus-shaped gratitude involves three bennies. And the first one is benefit. In order for me to be grateful, I have to receive a gift, and I must perceive that as a good thing to receive. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And then he goes through and lists some of those benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. Now, a bunch of you should be writing a lot of stuff down right right now because That verse just listed for you some of the good things that God has done for you. That we are the beneficiary of those benefits. Our lives are filled with good things, with benefits from God. The problem, though, is that we're blind to them most of the time. Gratitude requires that we recognize them and know that they are good. So the first factor was benefit. The second factor is benefactor. Now, a benefactor, which is related to our word for factory, means one who does good. To be grateful, you must believe that not just that benefits are coming your way, but that they're not coming your way randomly or by accident. They are coming to you from someone. And you must believe that this benefactor has your best interests at heart. If I'm to be a grateful person, I must believe that about God. And the writers of Scripture were very confident in this truth. See, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in his epistle, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Anything good we have comes from God. You might say, well, I earned it. I worked for it. Yeah, but who gave you the ability to work for it? I have to recognize that everything good I have comes from God. God is the giver of good things. He gave Noah plans to build the ark and the ability to build it to save his family. He gave the Israelites bread from heaven by morning and fire by night. He gave Jonah a fish to swallow him up when he went overboard that spit him out on dry ground. He gave the Virgin Mary the faith to obey that the Holy Spirit was going to conceive in her the Son of God. He gave the wise men a star to lead them. He gave the world the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, and the Savior of the world. God gives you a peace that passes all understanding. He gives you the Holy Spirit to convict and strengthen and encourage you. He gives you his word to guide you. 
He gives you health to bless you, friends to love you, a life to enjoy. God is completely good. He is constantly good. He is unchangingly good. That is one of his attributes. God will never not be good. He can never be anything less than good. Everything our God does is good. He is our benefactor. Now there's a third element to Jesus-shaped gratitude. So there's benefit, there's a benefactor, but there has to be a beneficiary, one who receives the benefit. And that's you and that's me. We are the beneficiaries of the benefits that come from a God who loves you, who is good. For there to be gratitude, beneficiaries must believe that they are receiving something that they did not earn and do not deserve. And that requires humility. That's the second thought that I want to share with you today is that gratitude grows in humility. It always involves a posture of humility. If I believe that I am owed something, then I'm not going to be grateful for it because I'm entitled to it. And that word entitled to me is probably the adjective that most aptly describes our society and our culture today. People are entitled. They feel like I deserve all the stuff that I have. For example, if you were to give me a car, just give it to me. I would be overwhelmed with gratitude at, at, at your generosity to me in such an incredible gift. But if I paid you fair market value for that car, I wouldn't necessarily say, thank you so much for this incredible gift because I paid you for it. I'd be like, hand me the keys, it's mine. I'm entitled to it, I'm owed it. And see, I think that's kind of what encapsulates the human race. Sinful humans are by nature entitled. We believe our gifts rightfully belong to us. And the more we think we're entitled, the less we're grateful. My sinful mind can convince me that I'm entitled to anything I want. And if I don't get something that I want, well, then other people must be messing up. They owe me, and they ought to pay me. And this has led to an escalation of lawsuits in our society today. I'm sure many of you have heard of some frivolous lawsuits, but I did some research just to find a few humorous examples of of this truth that is illustrated in our society today. A couple years ago, the San Francisco Giants were sued because they gave away Father's Day gifts to men only. This one, in 1991, Richard Harris sued Anheuser-Busch for $10,000 for false advertising, claiming to suffer from emotional distress in addition to mental and physical injury. Why? Because when he drank beer, he didn't have any luck with the ladies as the television commercial suggested he would. It's for real. There was one time that a psychic was awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CAT scan impaired her ability to predict the future. Which makes me wonder, if she was really psychic, shouldn't she have known to not go to that doctor or get that CAT scan in the first place? Right? See, in a Christian framework, though, ingratitude is not just a psychological problem. Ingratitude is not just our emotional response to our bad experiences in life. Ingratitude is a sin. In her book, 1,000 Gifts, author Anne Voskamp has this to say about ingratitude. And I'm going to read you a portion of her book because it's so good. She says, ultimately, in his essence, Satan is an ingrate, which is a being that is ungrateful at its core. 
and he sinks his venom into the heart of Eden. Satan's sin becomes the first sin of all humanity, the sin of ingratitude. Adam and Eve are simply, painfully ungrateful for what God gave. And isn't this the catalyst of all my sins? Our fall was, has always been, and always will be, that we aren't satisfied in God and what he gives. We hunger for something more, something other. Standing before that tree, laden with fruit withheld, we listen to evil's murmur. And the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, the serpent whispered. But in the beginning, our eyes were already open. Our sight was perfect. Our vision let us see a world spilling with goodness. Our eyes fell on nothing but the glory of God. We saw God as he truly is, good. But we were lured away by the deception that there was more to a full life, that there was more to see. And true, there was more to see. The ugliness we hadn't beheld, the sinfulness we hadn't yet witnessed, the loss we hadn't yet known. So we eat, and in an instant, we are blind. No longer do we see God as one we can trust. No longer do we perceive him as wholly good. No longer do we observe all of the remaining paradise. And on the other hand, we eat, and in an instant, we see. Everywhere we look, we see a world of lack, a universe of loss, a cosmos of scarcity and injustice. That's what ingratitude does. It blinds us to the goodness of God and causes us to see all of the lack and injustice in the world. Paul says that ingratitude is actually the hallmark of a life opposed to God. And speaking of people living opposed to God, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1. He says, For all they knew God, all they knew about God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. And as a result, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we are not grateful to God, our thinking becomes futile and our hearts become darkened to his goodness. Theologian Robert Hayes once said, the fundamental human sin is the refusal to honor God and give God thanks. Ingratitude is a sin. It is a sin to not thank God for the blessings in our lives. People opposed to God perceive themselves to be entitled, to be owed. They don't see themselves as undeserving recipients of grace. And when we're not grateful, that's when we grumble. And mark my words, nothing will lead you further away from God more quickly than grumbling and complaining. It's a sin that God takes very seriously. In the Old Testament, we see an entire generation of Israelites who would die in the wilderness and not be able or not allowed to enter the promised land because they were ungrateful. They grumbled and complained in the wilderness. They weren't grateful to God for having rescued them out of Egyptian slavery, which is why in the New Testament, Paul writes that we're to do everything without grumbling or complaining. Ingratitude is a sin, and grumbling keeps us from realizing realizing the blessings that we have. But number three, gratitude leads to a life of blessing. See, gratitude makes us more aware of the blessings that we have, and Jesus modeled this so perfectly for us. He knew what it was like to live in gratitude. His way of life can teach us to practice gratitude. See, every devout Jewish person was committed to two daily forms of prayer, and the first one was called the Shema, 
which is the Hebrew word for hear or listen. And it comes from the first word in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, for he is our great benefactor. And they would pray the Shema daily. The second form of prayer that they were committed to was called the 18, or its complete title was the 18 benedictions. And there's that word again, bena meaning good, diction meaning words or speech, good words. In Hebrew, a benediction was any prayer that began with the word bless. To bless is to speak good to somebody else. And they always wanted to speak good to, to bless, to thank God, and they would do it constantly. In the morning when they woke up, they would pray the 18, blessed are you, Lord. In the middle of the day, they would pause and pray the 18, blessed are you, God. At night before they went to, get, went to bed, they would pray the 18 again, blessed are you, God, who forgives all of our sins. And then they would enrich that simple phrase that rabbis would, would teach their followers how to expand and what to add to the beginning of that phrase, blessed are you, Lord. They would say, blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick. They would realize that I have a body and I'm sick. God is the one who's behind my health. So they would say, blessed are you, Lord, who sustains the living and heals the sick. They would intentionally practice gratitude, and the more they did it, the more they would realize how blessed they were. The blessed life begins with gratitude. We have to understand that it's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. Gratitude doesn't come when we get more stuff. Gratitude comes when we see reality as it is, that we are, we are grace-given beneficiaries of all of the benefits that come from a loving benefactor. That is the reality that grateful people see. They would pray the 18 an extra time on the Sabbath. They didn't have to work on the Sabbath, so they thanked God for that. And I thank God when I don't have to work either. They discussed the best way to say them. Rabbis would say, never say the 18 when you're seated on a donkey. Because when you're elevated, it would be easy for you to get prideful and, and to feel self-sufficient. So they encourage people to, to come down lower and have their feet planted on the ground to be humble and to pray the 18. So, so never, say, never say the 18 when you're seated on a donkey, okay? There's my tip for you today. They would gather regularly to, to pray the 18 at the temple. And we can kind of read between the lines in Acts chapter 3 when it says that one day Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. That was the time in which they went to the temple to pray the 18, to bless and thank God. And they would do it in the temple because the temple was the place that reminded them that God's plan and desire was always for us to live with God, that he would be among us and that we would be his people. And if they couldn't go to the temple physically because they weren't near it or they were unable to, then they were to turn their bodies and their hearts towards Jerusalem, towards the temple where the Holy of Holies was, where God's presence was expressed because life with God is always a life of thanksgiving to God. See, every rabbi would teach his disciples his own Talmudim, it's called in the Hebrew, how to pray the 18 in their own way. Every, every rabbi, and Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher, had their own version or own way of saying the 18. And so when Jesus' disciples approached him and said, Lord, how do we pray? They were asking him exactly that, like, Lord, what is our way of praying the 18? How do we bless and thank God? And so the Lord's prayer that Jesus gave his disciples is the 18 in summary form. 
Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed or blessed be your name. And the Lord's Prayer became the 18 for the early church. The early church prayed it three times a day. But gratitude didn't stop with the Shema or the, the 18. Every meal was an occasion to express gratitude. Food was not eaten until people stopped and remembered it as a gift from God. They didn't just inhale it like we do now. A rabbi once said, a man must not taste anything until he has blessed it. They weren't so much blessing the food as they were blessing God who gave them the food. So whenever we bless the food, we should actually bless and thank God for it. They were so serious about gratitude that certain rabbis believed that if you had forgotten to uh, give thanks to God for the food that you eat and then left. You were to return to the place where you ate the meal so that, and then thank God there so that you wouldn't forget the next time. If you can imagine, if we still had this practice and belief today, you know, say you go out to lunch at a restaurant when we were allowed to eat at restaurants and you left having forgotten to, you know, give thanks to God for the meal that you ate and then you realized that you would have to go back to the restaurant and if somebody was sitting in the booth that you sat at, you'd have to ask them to, to stand up so that you could sit down and say, God, thank you for the food that you just blessed me with. They took gratitude very seriously. They never wanted to miss an opportunity to thank God for his blessings. And my dad drilled this into me. From my earliest memories, I can remember every day almost coming home from school, my father would ask me two questions. How was your day, son? And did you remember to say grace before you ate your lunch today at school. He wanted to instill in me this, to cultivate this attitude of gratitude and recognizing that everything in my life is a gift from God and he deserves our thanks. Every different item of food in Jewish culture was another opportunity to say thanks. They didn't just say thanks once at the beginning of a meal. When the bread came out, they would thank God for the bread. Then when the figs came out, they would thank God for the figs. When the wine came out, they would thank God for the wine. If they were blessed enough to have meat, they would then thank God for the meat. The principle was to thank God for every single gift. And again, we can see Jesus even doing this at the Last Supper. It says that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. But then in the same meal, it says, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to his disciples. See, every new item that came out at dinner was another opportunity to thank God. In our day, if we say a meal at all, it's very quickly at the beginning of the meal, but not Jesus. He would have done what every devout Israelite would do. Every time another item came out, he would thank God for, God, this is, this is from you too. Thank you that I get to eat this. But gratitude wasn't just for mealtime, and it wasn't just for the 18 benedictions. They had blessings for everything. They had a blessing for a lamp because it provided light, and light is such a gift. We could live in darkness, but God said, let there be light. So they would say, bless you, God, the Father of all lights. They had a blessing for seeing a comet. They had a blessing for seeing the ocean. They had a blessing for rain. They had a blessing when they completed a house. There was no occasion too small to express gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Disciples were known to follow their rabbis around all the time. In fact, one of the descriptions for a disciple is one who follows in the dust of. That's how disciples learned from their rabbis. They would 
You know, back then it was, uh, you know, roads were dusty. They walked everywhere they went and disciples would follow so closely on the heels and the footsteps of the rabbi that the dust from the rabbi's sandals would kick up and get onto their disciples. An interesting thought for those of us who are Jesus followers. Are we following so closely to him that if he were walking the earth today, the dust from his sandals would get on us? but they would follow their, their, their rabbis around so closely to learn, is he gonna say a, a blessing here? How do I thank God for that? They wanted to know. There are stories of them <laughs> even following their rabbis into the bushes where they would go to the bathroom because they wanted to know, is there gonna be a blessing for that too? And there was one, surprisingly. I discovered there was a rabbi, Abai, who said, Blessed are you, Lord, who has formed man in wisdom and created in him many orifices and many cavities. For real. Now, that might sound strange or maybe even a little bit crude to some of you, but it's not so funny when those orifices and cavities don't work that well. Life can get a little bit miserable when that happens. But the rabbis would say, shame on you for thinking that you are so proper that any part of your existence is too undignified to thank God who thought it up. Shame on you for thinking that there is something unspiritual, something not worth thanking God for about any part of our bodies. So they were thankful for everything. And in particular, they were to thank God for the people in their lives. It's not just about blessing him for our meals and praying the eighteen but to thank God, because life with God is largely about life with the people he puts in it. So we're to thank God for the people in our lives that love us and who we love and who we get along with. And we're also supposed to thank God for the people in our lives who are not so easy to get along with. You mean to tell me that I gotta thank God for so-and-so who's a pain in my you-know-what? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because point number four is that things don't have to be great for you to be grateful. Life with God and walking in the Spirit will help me to learn how to be grateful in imperfect people and imperfect circumstances. See, our job, again, is not to try and feel grateful like so many people do. Gratitude is a byproduct of a spiritual reality. And when we learn and train ourselves to live in that reality then our job is to just place our minds in God's presence and surrender our will to his. And when we do that, that's when we can say, you know what, God, you're here right now in the midst of this difficult circumstance, in the middle of this challenging relationship, and I don't have to carry the world on my shoulders. You're here. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my body. Thank you for this person who's driving me crazy. Thank you that you're in control of everything. Thank you, God, for Jesus. We can pray. We can be thankful even in the midst of challenging circumstances. Because if I wait for people to be perfect or circumstances to be perfect before I'm grateful, then I'm going to be waiting a really long time. And rabbis talked about this too. One rabbi said this, one is obligated to say a benediction over evil as well as a benediction over good. And when I first read that, I was like, wait, I don't know if I agree with that. Is evil good? Is, is suffering something that we should be thankful for? No. See, those things are bad, and God is always constantly at work to one day overturn and overcome all things, to bring everything under subjection to the Lordship of Christ. But the rabbi said that one is obligated to say a benediction at all times because we are always in danger of being thankful only when good things come our way. 
And when that, happen, our, when that happens, our threshold for gratitude gets higher and higher and higher. And eventually, we become ungrateful people. Being transformed by God means learning to see ways in which God is at work, even in bad situations. For I know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Which reminds me of another story I read in The Hiding Place. Corey and her sister, Betsy Ten Boom, were the victims of some of the most cruel, inhumane, torturous acts of violence in human history. And yet they still found ways to thank God. Probably the most impactful part of the book for me was when I read that when they were transferred to a new barracks in Ravensbrück, which was the concentration camp that they were held at in Nazi Germany. The first night in their new barracks, it was completely overcrowded. It was meant to fit, I think, 400 women, and there were 1,400 women in their barracks, three bunks high, four women per bunk. And the first night there, within a few minutes of laying down, Corey shot up after feeling something pinch her leg and she got out of bed and stepped into the light to try and investigate what it was. And upon discovery and looking at the mattress, which was rotting straw, it was foul and putrid smelling, but it was infested with fleas, totally covered with fleas and they were biting them. And she cried out to her sister, Betsy, how are we gonna live in a place like this? And Betsy whispered a quiet prayer, show us, show us, Lord. And then almost just as quickly, she said, he has showed us. Corey, what was that passage you read this morning? And then Corey pulled out her contraband Bible after making sure that there were no guards around to see them. And she turned to the passage that I read to you in the beginning of this message from 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Betsy said, that's it, that's it. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. That's how we're going to do it. God gave us the answer even before we asked the question. Starting right now, we can thank God for everything about this barracks. And Corey was like, such as? As she looked around at this foul-smelling place. And Betsy suggested, such as being assigned here together. And Corey said, yes, thank you, Lord, for me being here with my sister. And then Betsy added, such as that book you're holding in your hands. And Corey felt convicted and said, yes, thank you, Lord, for your words and for the countless women in these barracks who will find you in these words. And then Betsy added, and thank you, God, for the crowding here. And Betsy, or Corey was like, the crowding? Yes, we're grammed in here so closely that more women are gonna hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And Corey reluctantly said, yes, Lord, thank you for the overcrowded, stuffed barracks. And then Betsy continued, and thank you, Lord, for the fleas. And Corey had had enough. She said, what do you mean? Not even God can make me thankful for an unuseful creature such as the flea. And Betsy said, well, it says to be thankful in all circumstances, not just pleasant ones. And fleas are a part of the circumstances that God has us in right now, so they must have a purpose. And we're gonna thank God for everything in all circumstances. But Corey was convinced that Betsy was surely wrong in this instance. As weeks wore on, Betsy grew more and more ill. And rather than being sent out each day for work duty, she was allowed to remain in the barracks to sew socks 
uh, with the other seriously ill prisoners. And she was an excellent, um, she, she knew how to sew really well. And so she usually fulfilled her quota of socks by noon, which gave her hours each day to, to go from bunk to bunk and platform to platform, reading the Bible to the other inmates who were there. And she always wondered, like, the guards never really seem to come in and check on us. We always have so much freedom here. And then one day, Corey came back from her day of labor and found Betsy smiling ear to ear. And Corey said to her sister, like, you seem especially pleased with yourself today. And Betsy responded to her, says, you know, we've, all, we've never really known why the guards gave us so much freedom in this place. They never really come in and check on us. Well, I found out, Corey. You did? What was it? Well, one of the, so one of the women in my knitting group today, we had a dispute over our quota of socks. And so we asked the supervisor to come in and settle the dispute for us, but she refused to come in. And the guards wouldn't come in either. And when asked why, they said, that place is infested with fleas. And that moment, Corey remembered their first hour in the barracks when her sister bowed her head in humble gratitude and thanked God for the fleas in a concentration camp in Germany. If they can thank God for fleas, then we can certainly thank God for the blessings in our lives, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. Things don't have to be great for you to be grateful. But notice that the Bible says to be grateful in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. There's a big difference. You don't have to be thankful for everything that's bad in 2020 this year. There's a lot that has happened that is not part of God's plan or will. So we don't thank him for the evil in the world, but we can thank him in the midst of evil in the world. And why can we thank him in the midst of such circumstances? We can thank him because we know he's still God and he's still good and he is worthy of our praise and our thanks no matter what we're facing. We can thank him because we know he's in control. We can thank him because we know he'll never stop loving us. And we can thank him because in his sovereignty, we know he has the power to turn everything around for good. Even our own mistakes can turn around for our benefit, for his glory and for our good. So we bless God all the time. A lot of times when I look back on things that I've gone through that were painful or hard, things that I didn't want to go through at the time I was going through them, but when I come out on the other side, I look back and I'm able to say, thank you, God, that I didn't miss out on the lessons you taught me in the midst of that season. So we bless God all the time, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us. When we're going through a hard time, God wants to know, how much will you let me carry during this hour of suffering? And if we don't answer that question right, we might miss out on the reason for our lives. So we thank God for his blessings. We, the 18, we thank him for our food and we thank him for people. We can even thank him in hard times, but our ultimate gratitude is for God's ultimate gift. You know, there's a book called the Book of Common Prayer. Some of you might be familiar with it. And there's a prayer in there that is worded like this. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, all benefits, all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, and that phrase kind of grates against us in our culture. We don't like to use it. 
you're unworthy servants. But if I'm an entitled master, then I won't be grateful and I'll miss out on God's will for my life. I'm an unworthy sinner, an undeserving recipient of grace. It says, we, your unworthy servants, do give you most humble and hearty thanks. We bless you for our creation, our preservation, all the blessings of this life. But above all, we thank you for your inestimable love and the redemption of our world by our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, we're glad for our friends. We're glad for food. We're glad, we're grateful for our house and our cars and, and, and success when it comes, when our, for our jobs when we have it. But the absence of those things did not prevent us from giving thanks to God for his greatest gift. Above all, church, listen to me, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, above all, in times of plenty and in times of need, in palaces or in prisons, we are thankful for God's greatest gift and the gift of his son, Jesus. His sinless life, his beautiful and matchless teachings, his sacrificial death on the cross for us and his triumphant resurrection from the dead. Blessed are you, Lord. You know, you often hear me say that information without application will not lead to transformation. And so here's how I want you to apply this message to your life this week. See, our goal is to become more aware of the moments, more surrendered to God, and more aware of his presence and his goodness in our lives. So I want you to turn every blessing in your life into praise because every blessing that you don't turn into praise turns into pride. And that's when we become ungrateful and we're in dangerous territory when we're ungrateful. So turn every blessing into praise by writing out your own benedictions. That's your homework this week. And I know that starting out with 18 might be overwhelming to you, but every night this week, before you go to bed, just write down four things that you're thankful to God for. And maybe use the form that I gave you earlier. Blessed are you, Lord, and then fill it in with the rest because that's how the Israelites did it. Blessed are you, Lord. Example, blessed are you, Lord, for this friend that I love. Blessed are you, Lord, for this bed that I'm sleeping in. Blessed are you, Lord, for my wife and my children. Just write down four things each night. Again, it's not your job to feel grateful. You might not feel grateful in the moment, but your job, our job, is to be present, to think, to recognize the, the benefits that God has given us, to see them, to acknowledge them, to thank him for them. So try that this week. Write them out and say your own benedictions when you wake up and when you go to bed each day. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll be grateful that you did. Listen, we know that this world is not our home. We will one day get to be face-to-face -face with our Savior, and I cannot wait for that day. That is something to be grateful for, is the hope that we have in Him. But we know that no matter what happens in this season, God is never gonna stop loving us. You have never walked a day in this life alone where He was not with you. There are hundreds of reasons to be grateful and thankful. Even in the midst of this pandemic, all circumstances in the Bible, do you know what the Greek word for all means? It means all. It means everywhere, anywhere, all the time, all encompassing. There is no circumstance in which we are not supposed to be grateful to our good God. So let's pray. 
Would you bow your heads with me? And as you do, why don't you go ahead and grab that paper that I hope you've been writing some stuff down that God has brought to your mind. I want you to just kind of read over those words right now and tell them to your heavenly Father, your great benefactor, whose disposition towards you is one of a loving Father because he gives good gifts to his children. And I want you just to begin thanking him for those things in your life right now. Tell them in your own words. Blessed are you, Lord. Blessed are you, Lord, for the peace that passes understanding. Blessed are you, Lord, for the joy that is my strength. Blessed are you, Lord, for your strength, which is made perfect in the midst of my weakness. Blessed are you, Lord, for the grace extended to me through my family and through the people that you've put into my life. Blessed are you, Lord, for your goodness, for your healing power, for the Holy Spirit that comforts me when I'm sad, that guides me when I'm lost, that speaks truth to me when I'm tempted to believe a lie. Blessed are you, Lord, for your loving kindness and your mercies that never end. Blessed are you, Lord, for my family, my wife and my children. Blessed are you, Lord, for planting me in a house of people who love you and love to serve you and love to serve their community. Thank you, God. I pray that you would help all of us to be more intentional, to live a life of gratitude, to turn every blessing in our life into praise, to turn it back to you so that we don't run in danger of becoming prideful or ungrateful. Lord, forgive us if we have succumbed to an entitled mentality, thinking that we deserve the blessings that we have. They all come from you. You are the giver of every good gift. So God, we thank you for them right now. And maybe as you're watching or listening at home, you've never reached the point that Romans 1 talked about where you honored God or gave thanks to him because you maybe blamed God for some of the bad stuff that happened in your life. If God is so good, then why would he allow so much bad in my life? But this morning, you know that there's something in your heart that's telling you that what I've said today is true, that we all live in a world that's broken and suffers from the effects of sin, and God is not the author of the pain in your life. It's the pain in our life that's meant to turn us towards him so that we can find meaning in it so that we can find hope in it. And maybe this morning is your time to thank God for sending Jesus to pay for every single sin you've ever committed. And we've all committed sin. We've all done things that have grieved the heart of God and created separation between us and him. But the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross, when we place our trust in him, that blood cleanses us from all of our sin and makes us white as snow. And we can run boldly into the throne room of grace and into our Father's arms and be restored to our rightful identity as sons and daughters of God. And if you're ready to do that right now, I'll just encourage you to go ahead and put a hands up emoji in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. Or maybe there should be a link that popped up in the comment section. You just click on that link and fill out the form there to let us know today I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to start a relationship with Jesus today. And if that's you, I just want you to repeat these words after me. 
Say, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your own son into this world to die for me. Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to lay down your life for me. I confess that I'm a sinner and I want you to forgive me of all of my sins. Cleanse me, wash me, make me new. Jesus, I give my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to live for you and serve you and follow you the rest of my life and help me to be grateful, to practice gratitude, to realize all of the blessings that have come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen and amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer, let me be the first one to welcome you into the family of God. And I, for one, am grateful that you have decided to say yes to Jesus. You're now my brother or my sister in the faith, and we would love to connect with you. We would love to give you a gift to help you along on this new journey as a follower of Jesus. And so you can go to our website and click on the new here, or not new here, the next steps button. Let us know about the decision that you've made today, and we will send you a Bible and some other resources that will not only explain a little bit more about the decision that you just made today, but it will also suggest some next steps that you can take on this new journey that you're on. But welcome to the family. We're so excited uh, to have you joining us. Well, that concludes our series for the month of November. I hope it was helpful to you. We're gonna be starting a brand new series next week as we kick off December and head into the Christmas season. And in preparation for this series, our creative team put together a little promo to give you a sneak peek of what the theme of that is gonna be all about. So take a look at this.